Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I want to talk to you about Rotoballer.com. If you guys know me by now, you've listened long enough, you know I have my written content for DFS and other season-long fantasy products over at Rotoballer.com. And if you're still grinding along in the NFL streets, season-long playoffs, DFS for the NFL, don't wait any longer. Go to Rotoballer.com, get the NFL Premium Pass. Are you ready to dominate your season-long in DFS leagues? Rotoballer's NFL Premium Pass includes lineup tools, projections, and DFS cheat sheets for all formats. Get access to exclusive articles, DFS tools, lineup optimizers, and premium Slack chat rooms. I do the weekly DFS cash game values, even the, and then this Saturday even, doing some uh, extra previews for the, the week's DFS slates. Come check all that out and join in on the winning and take... 50% off any premium pass, not just football. If you want basketball, baseball's coming up, all that good stuff. 50% off any premium pass. Use my my promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off. So you get 60% off a premium pass. It's that simple. So get in, get ready, finish the NFL season in a strong, strong way with rotoballer.com, NFL premium pass, already at 50% off now. Use promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off when you purchase. Just visit rotoballer.com backslash radio, sign up today, and start rotoballing like a boss. everybody to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip episode 110 continuing our positional previews for the 2022 fantasy baseball season heading over to first base a fun position as always it was fun reviewing it It'll be fun previewing it it will not be as long as the catchers episode and it probably will be but it's not because you know <laughs> the love for catchers isn't quite there but uh we will we'll get you covered normal normal rundown like top 1080p some longer shots some ADP some awesome uh listener questions and much much more you can find me on Twitter at BDNTrick and my co-host, as always, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how we doing, man? We're doing all right, Bubba. We're just plugging along. Um, I'd say I, I wish I could promise that it's going to be shorter than the catcher preview, oh, but there's one thing that they both have in common, which is my blabbering mouth. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll try to keep it. We'll try to keep it a little low. We'll actually consolidate. We'll actually do all 10 of the, start, the first basemen who are identical. And we'll just do those as a lump, and then we'll we'll tackle the guys who actually have maybe like a little bit of character, a little bit of differentiation between between the pack. So, yeah, your your, your tweet about that was so funny because there is like just a wheelhouse of so many like such similar profiles. It's just it's funny at the position. So, 
it makes drafting interesting like we've talked about before so we'll uh we'll definitely get to some of those as well but um yeah you uh you knocked out two catcher podcasts last week we have first base this week i th- i don't remember what position we have coming up sunday night as our guest on the Toolshed podcast but uh, oh we're third base Third base, base. I guess we mixed yeah, it up because yeah. they wanted us for catchers too, but we said, I think, I think enough's enough. <laughs> so, Man, this is yeah. going to be a busy fantasy baseball weekend. It's like yeah. on, uh, on Friday night, there's the pitcher con poker. Yep. And then on Friday morning, I have my, I'm on, I have my panel with, um, now we can talk about it. Chris Welsh yep. and uh, <laughs> Nando DeFino. Sorry, Nick, um, for ruining that surprise last time. And then, uh, Bubba, when's yours at? When yours happen? I'm doing mine. You're probably listening to this show on Wednesday at six Eastern, three Pacific, with myself, Joe Pisapia, and Matt Williams. So we'll be dropping that one as oh, cool. well. So I'll get that Wednesday. You got yours Friday. We got another show Sunday night, uh, and I always have way more other shows to do. So it's going to be a fun, fun filled week. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be awesome. So should be a lot of fun. All right, but uh, yeah, keep on the lookout for that. Again, go to PitchCon on the PitcherList.com. They have a link to it this year where you can donate and all that good stuff, plus all the links to the videos. And it's it's more consolidated this year because I know in years past, it was like uh, there's a StreamYard link for like the first half of the day and the second half of the day. And so it seems like there's only like one link a day. So it'll make it a lot easier just to watch. You don't have to like move around and see things. So that'll be a ton of fun as well. Yeah, and I probably won't be there because I never uh, make it to the pitcher list or PitchCon poker night on friday night for the presenters but toby goes and toby usually wins so we'll see how that goes i win 50 percent of the time yes one, hey, one for 50 two, percent of the time, one works for all the time i can't remember yeah, yeah i think good, that's pretty good ratio maybe, maybe the only victory i ever get but the good news is like for the next 10 years i can just be like i uh-huh. win like 25 percent or i win 20 percent. you, you can that say sounds you pretty good that's all that matters so i am a winner cool. You are a winner. You're a winner in my books, so that's all that matters. Um, So let's go. Let's go to first base here. Lots and lots of fun. Real quick, though, let's talk strategy uh, at the first base position. Obviously, catcher has a different type of strategy because you have to. You want to go early? Do you want to wait? Two catchers, so on and so forth. First base, like we talked about uh, in the review, and we'll talk about again. It's you know some top heavy studs, then it's kind of different groupings that kind of drop in drafts. Like you have two or three guys together, then a drop, two or three guys together, so on and so forth. How are you attacking first base? Yeah, we have some questions, some really good listener questions too on, on this kind of strategy piece. Um, I think, you know, the general, I mean, first base is kind of just a, a, va- a perceived value, I should always call it, because we don't know whether it'll end up being a value. But, you know, it just seems like there's a lot of guys who um, are pretty good where they're going ADP wise. And I think the major strategic question you have is, you know, do you, do you pay up, you know, like Vlad Jr. is kind of in like a category I'd say, yeah, Vlad Jr. is kind of in a category on his own. I mean, Freddie Freeman belongs in there as well, just because of the kind of history and and batting average and everything that he contributes. It's actually like a fairly interesting comparison with, with, with Vlad, obviously Vlad has, has some more power. Um, But then there's just that like chunk of first baseman, Pete Alonso, Paul Goldschmidt, Matt Oldson, Olsen, um, even Jose Abreu, I would con- count in that, that are kind of like have a little bit more of a track record. That, you know, maybe you're expecting a little bit more production, but you also obviously have to pay up for it. And while they don't seem like they're they're bad picks per se where they're going, um, certainly there's a lot of depth to the position, which we covered in the review. 
And then there's like that chunk of first basemen starting with Josh Bell, Jared Walsh, Joey Votto, Reese Hoskins, CJ Cron, you know, uh, Anthony Rizzo to a lesser extent for me, but like Trey Mancini, you know, there's just a, a bunch of um, guys who are kind of all in there together who are going to give you, depending on which guy you go, like either, you know, kind of somewhat subpar batting average to somewhat above par batting average with like 25 to 35 home runs. And like, literally they're just like puzzle pieces. Like, Oh, you want the guy who has a higher average like Josh Bell? Well, you know, he's probably going to hit you like five home runs fewer than Reese Hoskins, but Reese Hoskins is going to hit 240. you know? And so just really like um, a, a group of guys that are there that are just, you know, I don't mind pretty much all of them where they're going in the drafts right now. And then later on, there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential guys who can, who could jump up into that, into that range, or maybe even into the more elite guys, depending on what the ceiling is like, you know, Dahlbeck and Lowe and Belt and my favorite Yuli Gurriel. Um, So there's, there's, it's a really, it's an interesting position. It's super deep. And it's one that you really should think about before you draft about how you want to handle it. Because I think, you know, um, I think that can dictate like a lot of, I don't know how the, how the draft generally plays out. Um, you know, especially in that kind of like middle one hundreds round where all those other first basemen are going. So just doing that value proposition of, do I want, you know, a gold Schmidt and a, you know, whoever the, outfielder is there or do I want the outfielder who's going at you know pick 55 um and and the first baseman who's going there and just kind of doing those types of you know internal conversations about which which approach you want to take and I don't think there's a right or wrong approach necessarily I've definitely been much more inclined I haven't taken any of the top first baseman yet um so I'm more inclined towards that kind of middle of the pack you know group Um, but I think either way you tackle it, you just got to be thinking about what, how that sets you up, you know, as you build your roster out and, um, you know, the usual, the usual discussions you have to have with yourself, you know, or, or maybe you like just sit in your bed at night and you think about these types of things. You just draw all the different scenario charts. If I pick A, yeah. I got to go to C. If I pick C, I got to go to D. The, the whole, the graphs just totally. start forming. Like Jenny Butler wrote about, actually, in the FTN um, draft guide, like the different flow charts. It's, it's really genius uh, strategy. I know Ryan Bloomfield's talked about it a lot, too, is kind of planning out your draft picks, kind of, you know, if you pick this player, then this. And, you know, every position technically is a team-building situation. But like you said, first baseman is a big one. Like, because – Outside of a couple guys, you're not going to get a ton of steals usually. Like, you'll get a few, but not a ton. So you leave those for the outfield and the middle infield more often than not. So you're looking at these guys, like you said, especially if you wait. Do I want the power guy? Do I want the batting average guy? Do I want there, – there's little there's different pockets for what you're looking for, and there's more than one of them, which is nice. You don't have to kind of, like, force your hand type situation. So, like, if you want to go third baseman early because you don't like the later third baseman, we can go later first baseman. Or you can get a decent first baseman early and get a, another first baseman as your corner infielder. So you don't have to mess with third base. Um, there's a lot of good options there. I'm with Toby. Like, I think I have like one Freddy share, maybe. I don't know if I even have a Freddy share. Um, I have a Vlad you, share now. You have because, a Vlad share. You have because a Vlad you share. wonderful people in the battle of the podcast leads, let them drop to number 12 overall, you geniuses, you, you, you overachievers, you. Um, Toby's drafting right after. He's at 13. I'm at 12. And he texts me and goes, Man, that's crazy. Like, basically crazy that Vlad fell to 12. I said, Yeah, I spent 10 minutes searching news. 
because I wanted to make sure I did not miss it because the day before I saw him sprinting and, you know, getting ready for the season. I'm like, yeah, that shot of his life again. Yeah, like like Rob Silver's tweeting things out all excited, which means a lot, you know, coming from Canada when it's that cold to tweet like that. So that that was good. I was shocked. I didn't know what happened, so I couldn't pass it. I, I was I almost took Bryce Harper thinking this was some, there was something weird going on, but I, I took Vlad. I'm like, we're taking Vlad. We're building around Vlad. But the thing is, when you do that, now you already like the whole point of taking hitters early is to get the the five categories, to get the steals and all that kind of stuff. Well, obviously with Vlad, you maybe get five if you're like in in a good year you're gonna get five or six but i'm not counting like any really from vlad that's not my goal with vlad i want 40 plus home runs hit for average do those things so you can start building differently which you'll see when you when you you see my team i tweet out there it's a definitely a different build for me but saying that that's why i usually don't take a first baseman early i'd rather go get something like an ace pitcher or a harper or luis robert or something like that to kind of to, to build around and I'll go get a later first baseman. So it's an interesting philosophy when you're building your team. And I a hundred percent agree with Toby. It's one of those deals, like sit down and kind of go, how do I want to build my roster? What do I feel comfortable building with? Do I want to get my stolen bases early because it's more comfortable that way and then go get another first baseman later? Or do I want to say, screw it. I'm going to get one of these elite guys. We've talked about with Goldie and Freddie and these guys that are pretty much almost right down their stat line. You're going to get it. Then I'll build around that later type deal. All those kind of ideas. And we'll talk about that when we talk about players and more listener questions coming up because it's a it's a fun position. It's a deep position, but not like a super like fantasy statistical deep position, if that makes sense at all. It's like very top heavy with the studs and then kind of like three category guys, two category guys, like kind of pick your poison guys as we go through the, the rankings here. All right. With that being said, top 10 ADP for the NFBC the past 30 days. So that'd be from December 25th. Merry Christmas, everybody, to January 25th. We'll kick it off with Vladito himself. Not a whole lot that needs to be said here, but um, he's the man. He's going at pick six overall, a max of 10. That will change. Now it's 12. Um, if I don't know if I actually qualify for this, though, but uh, max should be 12 now. Thank you, everybody, again. But what do you have on Vlad, uh, Toby, that you haven't said a million times on this show because everyone wants to give you a hard time about it? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure why anybody would doubt Vlad Jr. Um, you know, throughout his career, he's really dealt with a lot of haters. And I'm not quite sure. I don't know where those people come from. And people come out of that woodwork to troll people like you wouldn't believe. Um, you know, in terms of Vlad for this year, um, you know, he's 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 great. You know, and I think it's one of those first round picks where you just you got to debate. You're pretty you feel, feel pretty confident about, you know, the underlying skills. Obviously, I mean, he's still ridiculously young, right? The dude is, isn't even 23 yet. No, guys. I mean, who would it's who silly. Would, I mean, who would doubt like a 21 year old with that pedigree, right? Coming into last season, who would do that? Um, but, you know, the batting average looks great. The home runs, everything looks great. I mean, the stolen bases, the four was great. You know, that's the major question, right? In the first round always is if you're going to take a hitter that, that that's that good, um, you know, w- but you're not going to address speed, you know? So that's the question that everybody's thinking about as they take, take him, but he feels like such a sure thing at this point. I think generally speaking, like when I look at the profile, um, everything looks really good. You know, the contact rate was lower than it has been, you know, in the past, but the plate discipline improved as well. And the end zone contact rate was right in line with his career average. So he's making, he's, he's swinging at better pitches and, um, you know, he's making good contact with them. Obviously the, the quality of contact metrics were through the roof last year, which was one of the doubts that some people had heading into last year. 
We did see some massive drop in his ground ball rate, 10% drop in his ground ball rate. It'll be really interesting to see like over this year where that ground ball rate settles because, you know, oftentimes when you see those pretty significant drops in ground ball rate, oftentimes you see a little bit of regression back to um, the mean after that. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's in like the 46 to 48 range, you know, after this year where there's been a very clear change in his batted ball profile to being less ground ball heavy. Um, but, um, you know, maybe not as much as we saw the, uh, uh, this past year, you know, he hit 75 barrels to get to those 48 home runs, you know, which is fantastic. 15.1% barrel rate. You know, the max EV is not something we've ever questioned. I think the biggest improvement that we saw last year was the, the, the exit velocity on line drives and fly balls. He was really able to, for the first time to consistently hit the ball in the air, you know, with authority, which, you know, is, is a huge reason why he's, you know, why he did exactly what he did. The home run per fly ball rate is at 26.5%, but again, he's elite when it comes to quality of contact. So when he does hit the ball in the air, um, when he does hit it hard, it's going to go far. So this is just a really long winded way of saying the projections love him. You know, they have him as a top 10 guy, you know, no problem. Batting average is lovely. Home runs are probably going to be lovely. The runs in RBI are going to be lovely in that lineup. So it's just a question of, you know, the speed and whether you feel comfortable grabbing him here and then grabbing some speed later, you know, and, and it's not always that easy, right? Because you also have to think, especially this year, okay, well, at some point in the next couple rounds, I probably want to grab a starting pitcher. And then in the next couple rounds to a few rounds, I probably want to go after, you know, a top end closer potentially, and so you really have very few selections early on in drafts, depending on how you build your team, obviously, where, you know, you, you, you have to figure out what type of a base of hitting it's going to get you. So that was long on the number one player. I'll try to keep it short, but that's my, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, no, he's awesome. He's very, very awesome. And like you said, it goes back to kind of how do you want to build your team? And I feel like I've attacked stolen bases in that league well, but uh, starting pitching has a lot to be desired still. So it's kind of like you have to you have to sacrifice something, and we've talked about it on this show and other shows that the starting pitching pool feels deeper than usual. Might not be with the elite players, of course, but deeper. So you might be able to go that route if you want, if you feel comfortable with it. But uh, it does make make it diff, uh, definitely interesting. But what Vlad does uh, outside of hitting forty plus home runs potentially and hundred and hundred plus in runs and RBIs, which is great. It's that batting average, like over 300. Um, the projections, like you said, love him. He's one of, I think, just like five or six guys maybe projected over 300. Not many guys over 300. And um, there, there's a lot to be said about that in this world where like 250 is not horrible anymore. So you get a guy out there hitting 300, that can be tremendous as well. So he, he's awesome. Like you said, he's 23. He's probably, we probably still haven't even seen the best of him yet, which is potentially just insane to think about when you look at it. And you mentioned like the contact skills. It's really weird. Um, looking at his stuff here because yeah, his contact is down and everything compared to like league averages, but it's 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 it just a testament to how good he is. Is he doesn't chase that much, and when it's in the zone, he swings aggressively, like often. His like zone swing is way above average. His O swings like slightly below average. So he's a patient guy, unlike his father who just swung at everything, which you'd kind of expect, you know, to run in the family type deal. That's how that's how he learned. But it's impressive to see the discipline he shows you in the zone for a 23-year-old. Like we talk about Juan Soto's discipline, Vlad is, a, is another one of those guys. It's pretty 
pretty crazy to think about those two guys uh, getting the job done like that. So kudos to them as they uh, continue on their, their mission of domination here. All right. The second first base went off the board at pick 23 overall the past month is Freddie Freeman. As you mentioned, uh, he's a good ball player. He's just uh, another guy that he'll get a, a few more steals than Vlad, but the power won't be quite as, as much as Vlad. We don't know where he's playing, which is another thing as well. But it's one of those guys you can almost just pencil in, you know, 25 to 30 homers, uh, close to 100 runs, close to 100 RBIs, maybe like 90 to 100 in both of those. Pretty solid batting average. It's one of those if you want to take the chance and build around it, it's not the worst thing. Yeah, I mean, he's great. Uh, last year was was a lot of the same for him. You know, the RBI were down slightly. Uh, I will say the BABIP was also down slightly. Like his career average is 339. Um, he was at 321, which on, was on the lower side for him. Yet he still hit, you know, 300. The interesting thing, like, I don't know if it's a concern. I feel like he battled some injuries last year, um, but he had a 43% ground ball rate, which was a pretty big jump you know, about 6% from his career average. The last time he had a ground ball rate that was above 40% was in 2011, just to give you a sense of, you know, kind of how out of character that low ground ball rate was. So depending on the way you you view it, you could either see it as, oh, you know, the ground ball rate went up. Hopefully this isn't a sign of things to come, or maybe it's a sign of things to come, you know, which would hurt the power a little bit, um, you know, and, and the batting average potentially, because he's always been a super high line drive guy. He's been one of the few guys that you can really count on that uh, consistently high line drive rate from, um, or you could also view it as, well, you want to know something? He still crushed things last year with a high ground ball rate. You know, maybe he's fully healthy this year. You know, he gets it back to the normal range. And then you're talking about a guy who's hitting, you know, 35 home runs instead of 31 home runs. Um, I'm kind of interested to see over the course of the season how that ground ball rate um, went. Um, so I'm just going to pull out pull pull up my lovely rolling average graph right here, and hopefully it will load soon. Uh, yeah, so it really spiked towards the end of the season. Um, so I wonder if you know I I, I don't rem- I don't know was he battling an injury at some point in time? I feel like it, Probably but maybe not. Ever- I, I can't recall one. I can look it up while you talk about him, but uh, he's usually getting banged up with a hit by pitch or something all the time. But yeah, um, yeah. Let me look at into it for you and see what I can find. Yeah, I mean it's it's just um it's uh, it's a little bit noteworthy. It's the highest ground ball rate. You know, his last forty games, that stretch of time was the worst forty uh, game rolling average ground ball rate that he's had in uh, many years. Although it looks like in twenty eighteen he had something similar. Um, he had something similar in 2018. So not that long ago. Um, it doesn't seem, you know, that it's kind of out of, out of the ordinary, but not that out of the ordinary. So that would be my one little concern, but he's a professional hitter. You know, he's still really, really good. I think he's fine where he's going right now in a lot of ways. Like, you know, he's, he's very comparable to Vlad, you know, in the sense that you can rely on the batting average, the home runs, you know, maybe a little bit light there. You can count on the runs in the RBI, and then he's also going to contribute a few stolen bases, um, which is uh, which is pretty nice uh, from the first base position. So, I think that's all I'll say on Freddie Freeman right there. I think I think he's a solid pick. Again, similar conversation to what you have on, you know, Vlad Jr. Just about you know kind of what you're getting and um, this making up for the speed a little bit. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's going to provide you very similar to Vlad. That's the crazy thing is like if he gets that bounce back like you're talking about, where the um, 
the uh, the line, the ground ball rate and all that, that kind of stuff, and maybe the Babbitt changes a bit, that can be quite tremendous for his coming back. But uh, last year, no, nothing last year, nothing at all. So he was never on the IL one time last year. So he was healthy. He was very hmm. healthy. So we'll see how that one looks. But uh, yeah, I like Freddie. I think he's very, very intriguing if you're willing to go there. But the fun thing is, is you can get similar profiles by waiting a little longer. And the third first baseman off the board at pick 54 right now is Matt Olson. And this is a very interesting one with Matty Olson because he's climbed up. He used to not be the third guy like a week or so ago. Um, and people are, are, are really infatuated with him. You know, 39 home runs, which was great. But he hit 271. Strikeout rate dropped tremendously to 16.8%. Uh, the runs in RBI is both over 100 for the first time in his career. He had a career year in 2021. The A's are going to be worse next year. Matt Olson might get traded, too. So that, that's something you can look into. But it's like a combination of do the strikeout skills stay the same? Probably not likely. That's just kind of the way things go. And with the team changing so much, that runs in RBIs that helped make him such an elite talent last year, it's hard to see that playing out as well. So I have steered clear of Matt Olson so far, but there are some that absolutely love him, Toby. Yeah, and I mean, there's he's he's very lovable. You know, he's a lovable guy. Um, the thing that I'd say about Olson, like I think of all the first basemen, maybe like the first, I don't know, twenty first baseman or something. He's the one guy that really doesn't check out as like a great value for where he's going like just based on the projections you know i have you know a bunch of different first basemen um let me just uh bring it up here so of the first so of like the first of i mean first base is just you know getting you a ton of value and he's one of the few guys that actually isn't worth what his ADP is at the moment. Although I have his ADP in my spreadsheet is 50. And I think he's at like 56, at least in the last two weeks or something like that. 54 in the last two weeks. Um, He's the one guy that I'm a little skeptical on. I think one good, like just, you know, from a process standpoint. So last year he had a 78.6% contact rate, which was the highest of his career, which is fantastic. It was a 10% increase from the shortened season, um, but only like a three and a half percent increase from you know, 2019. And so when you look at the strikeout rates, it's like contact rate of 78.6% and then a K rate of 16.8%, right? So slightly better than league average, better than league average contact rate, way better than league average K rate. When he had a 75% contact rate, his strikeout rate was 25%. When he had a 70, 74.3% contact rate, his K rate was 24.7%. So I feel like even if he's able to maintain the contact gains, which I'd be surprised if he were able to maintain them, you know, at such an elevated point to to his career, um, you know, I think I think you're looking at more of even like a 20% K rate or a 21% K rate guy as opposed to the 16.8% K rate. So I don't believe that the batting average will stay in those 270s. I think you know, his career average is 252, I think maybe slightly elevated from that, which is what a lot of the projections have, 257, 258. And I think you're looking much more at that. And then when you think about the fact that you're you're totally lacking speed, you know, from this guy, 
you know, then that for me, that's kind of like, well, you know, I can get home runs and runs in RBI later. Like if you look at like a guy like Josh Bell, who's going a lot later, you know, your batting average is going to be higher with a Josh Bell, most likely. You know, you're going to lose 10 home runs probably uh, from Matt, Matt, uh, Matt Olson. But, you know, you're going to have probably pretty similar runs in RBI from the guy, like given his hitting behind Juan Soto, um, you know. And so that I think is like the, the conversation that's important to have, you know. And, and for me, Olsen really is the guy who just kind of stands out as not being worth worth the pick. Obviously, if he replicates what he did last year, of course, he's going to be worth it. But, you know, having career highs across the board does not feel like something that's um, that's super sustainable. Um, I also wonder, like, with the K rate, I don't want to, like, push my luck on this too far, but I just wonder if he's another, like, one of the 3-2 count guys where you just have, like, you know, crazy yeah. better luck. You nailed um, it. You nailed it, it once already. This I know. Year. That's why I don't want to, like, go back to it because what if I'm wrong? I can't remember what player what it was, I'm... but you nailed it. Um, it was, um, it was Jose Barrios. Yes. It was Jose Barrios. Yeah. So let's see in three, two counts. Um, so yeah. So his, his K rate, the lowest K rate he had in his career was in, um, outside of the five plate appearances he had in 2016 with, uh, with three in three, two counts was last year, 22.8% K rate in three, two counts. Compared to 28%, 28.9%, 32%, and 43.5%. He also had his highest walk rate in, in those counts last year as well. So he had like, go. so his his walk rate was 36.2% and his K percentage was 22.8%. Um, and then for his entire career, um, can we just do that? Can we do we do his career. Uh, anyways, I'm too lazy to do that. So anyways, so like these are the types of things where, again, it's not going to work out with every single player, but like it's kind of, I think it just shows how like one little thing like that in three, two counts, you have your best year ever can result in having your lowest K rate ever and your best batting average ever. And it's not necessarily something that we feel like should continue. And I know I've had some like back and forth with people who maybe think that like, Oh, well, it's not luck. Maybe it's a change in their approach. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty skeptical on that, honestly, because um, I'm just pretty skeptical because you have to have a pretty significant sample in order to determine whether it's an actual skill change that that person is developing. And you don't get enough plate appearances within a single year in order to get that, right? You're, you're probably getting, I can't remember what Olsen had, but like 120 or something like that in a 3-2 count. And so you have to look at that broader, that broader sample to really get a sense of what they should be doing from a skill perspective in, the, in those counts. So again, you know, very long, and but I would expect the batting average to drop, the K rate to increase, and as a result, like I just don't see, I don't see why you draft Maddelson. Yeah, it stinks because like last year, the couple, last couple of years, I've been pounding the medals and drum for where he was getting drafted, which obviously isn't pick 54 overall. He was more like one to 150, it felt like. Uh, so it felt much more like doable. Uh, on my early, my, my rankings I have out so far for first base, I have him as my eighth first baseman, and I got lambasted all over Reddit. Reddit was furious with me having him at eighth overall. 
and it's, I they can't read because I explained why I have everybody ranked where I literally wrote a paragraph on each freaking guy. But um, I like Matt Olson, but I'm also realistic. Like you mentioned, the things that could lead to regression, which now makes him like I have Josh Bell ninth. Like they're right next to each other. I see a lot of similarities in those two guys. Like, and you, you even look at, you know, you can look at Joey Votto, and you can see similarities there. You know, if Anthony Rizzo gets to the right spot, maybe CJ Crone, like. Olsen fits into that group you mentioned earlier of potential first baseman so much better, which is still a very good first baseman. It's just his ADP so much higher now where taking him there and it could work out great. Like Toby said, maybe he did make a change. Maybe he did. But you know, if you, if you said maybe someone made a change for all your picks, you're never going to win a league. I hate to break it to you. Like, <laughs> cause they're not all going to make a change. It's just, it's going to backfire eventually. So it's, you just got to make the decision. If you're a believer, like I know Carlos Marcano, Amazing analyst. Congratulations to Carlos. Nominated twice for FSWA awards. He loves Matt Olson. He's done research on Matt Olson. He believes in Matt Olson. Well, he's not a stupid guy. He's a very smart guy. So if he thinks that's what it is, more power to him. Um, I'm going to be on the trepidation side of things on this one. So um, love Matt Olson. Kind of hope he struggles a little bit this year so I can get him cheap again next year. But uh, that, that, that's where we are on that one. Now, if he gets traded, it's like, say, the Yankees, things get a lot more interesting. A lot yeah. more interesting. So that's kind of, I think some people are kind of drafting with that mindset as well because the Yankees have been rumored for that deal. Mm. So I think like the idea is that he's getting out of Oakland, which would already boost him pretty much like at 75% of the ballparks in baseball. So yeah, he'd be, he'd be perfect there. Yeah. So there's like, there are things sure, but as we sit right now, very, very difficult. Yeah. But, I mean, smart, yeah. smart people can disagree, Baba. It oh, yeah. Just, no. It just yeah. so happens that we're right. <laughs> Well, that's well, I don't want to get into to life situations, but I kidding. wish we had more conversations in life that we could disagree on and still be friends. That would make life so much better these days. But uh, the fourth first baseman off the board is Paul Goldschmidt, who was going third for a long time. He's going to pick 56, just a couple picks after Matt Olson. And we talked about it on the review podcast. Goldie brought it last year. 31 homers, 12 stolen bases, 102 runs, 99 RBIs, 294 average. If you just like go back and look at his seasons, he's pretty much been like a 290 plus hitter almost every season. He's hitting you 30 plus home runs, uh, like four straight full seasons, five of the last six. He's driving in runs, he's scoring runs, he's even adding steals. Like they kind of disappeared for a couple seasons, but he had three double digit stolen base seasons from 2015 to 2017. Still 12 again last year. Like he can sneak in 10 plus steals. Like legitimately, the stat line he brought you last year should be going with Freddie Freeman area in the grand scheme of things. In my mind, if you believe in Freddie Freeman. Goldie should be up there. People don't believe, I think, in Goldie. He's going to be 35 this year. He's getting older. Ballpark still isn't the most conducive to offense in St. Louis. That's, that's a big, big thing there. But he showed he could do it last year. It's, it'll be his third season there now. The lineup keeps getting better around him. You have Arenado. You have O'Neal taking the next step. There's there's stuff going on in St. Louis. I love Goldschmidt if you're willing to take the chance. I'm like, see, I'd rather take Goldie than Olsen. That seems pretty simple in the grand scheme of things, but maybe not. But um, I'm a Goldie fan. I don't have any shares yet because people take him earlier than I want to. But um, he'd probably be, if I'm taking a guy early outside of the Vlad thing we talked about earlier, he'd probably be one of the first ones I'd be willing to take. Yeah, I think that, I think that's fair. I mean, he's a little bit different in the conversation. You know, I'd, I'd actually think of him similarly to Freddie Freeman in some ways because, you know, in 2021, he stole 12 bases, which you're like, that's fantastic let's do it again. But, you know, at the same time, like he only had three in 2019. He only had seven in 2018. His projections are like seven or eight stolen bases, which I think is more reasonable, which is kind of more in the kind of Freddie Freeman range of that. 
but you know, you're also getting him later in later in the draft. That's not to say he's as good of a hitter as Freddie Freeman is necessarily. I mean, he's close enough, but um, just there's like at least a little bit of a conversation about the stolen bases that he provides for you. But the consistency, like we mentioned in the preview pod is just remarkable. You know, again, you throw out 2019, uh, 294, 304, 290, 297, 297, 321, 300, 302, 286. You know, like you take every single one, you take all of that, right? Like you take every single one of those batting averages that he's had, except for 2019 in like the last 10 years, quite literally. Um, so that's fantastic. You know, the hard hit data, the plate discipline, the contact skills are all so similar to what they have been. The max EV is great. He's actually striking the ball more consistently. The barrels, you know, his highest barrel rate uh, ever in 2021. You know, so he's really, really solid. And I think it's, you know, um, I think, yeah, I think he's he's a really solid pick right there. I mean, I, I don't think it's a terrible thing to like, especially if you start off with, you know, um, if you start off with, you know, pocket pocket aces or something like that. I you know, I don't want to go down that road too much because that's like my thing. But like, if you start out with something like that and he's your first or second hitter that you're grabbing, you know, you feel kind of good with the fact that you've built yourself a pretty solid foundation, consistency, you know, batting average, little bit of stolen bases. You pretty good feel pretty good about the counting stats and, and the home runs are all right as well. You know, so I like him in that, you know, I like him in that, in that kind of sense. So Goldie's really nice. I agree that if I probably went with the first baseman in this, in this region, I'd probably go with him. Although I do have like a, a little bit of a soft spot um, in my tummy for uh, big me, big me Pete, um, the polar bear. Uh, but just to give you a sense, like what you mentioned between Olsen and Goldie, you know, um, Olsen's going at, at uh, what, what like 54 I have like, and Goldie's like 56. Yeah, 54 and four, uh, and 56. And then for me, I have Goldie as about a $22 player, and I have Olsen as about a $20 player, right? So there's a $2 difference. Goldie's going higher. So it's not like a huge difference, right? Like it can be made up, you know, very by a few home runs here, a few stolen bases here, a couple points in batting average. But when you think about like what it means later on as you draft and your roster construction, I would put like a couple bonus points onto that gold, that Goldie line, just because it does give you a little bit more five category contribution. Yeah. He's, he's like, I guess we said he's, he's more similar to Freddie Freeman, kind of a poor man's Vlad. Cause he's not going to be as elite as Vlad, but you're getting him so much later. So it's like, if you want one of the, elite first baseman with one of the more consistent stat lines in baseball it's fun like we talked about on the review show i I really i think i need to do it maybe do an nfbc 50 or something just to see how it goes just get the consistent like let me grab goldie let me grab arenado let me grab altuve let me grab like all these boring consistent stat lines and see how the like the overall thing fills out it'd be kind of fun to see instead of going for like oh let's go get kyle tucker let's go get Luis robert and see let's just get these consistent like little just and see where it goes it'd be kind of interesting to see how it goes like no, i'm not gonna go pay like 400 bucks to go find out how it goes but a little 50 dollars for like a little test could be quite interesting all right the fifth first baseman at the board toby hinted at him going around pick 64 right now big meat pete the polar bear and he has a fun one because like we kind of talked about consistent steady eddies for the most part they get to pete 37 homers last year 
He had 53 in 2019, the big, big season. We talked about in the review show, you know, he hit 262, he hit 260 in that big 2019 season. The strikeout rate drops really nicely last year, kind of like Matt Olson did, but actually even not as big a drop as Matt Olson, kind of a maybe more believable drop um, in this one. I think what we saw last year is more like the consistency we can see with like um, Pete, 35 to 40 homers and whatnot, with the chance of a ceiling, which is really nice. So that's kind of the difference between the Goldies in this area, like you said, is okay, I can go get me like my 30-ish homers or whatever. Not as good of a batting average probably as the other guys. But if I want to try to get like 50 home runs, this is one of the guys in fantasy that can go get you 50 home runs. Yeah, I mean, Big Meat Pete, like I've never drafted him on a single team. I've never drafted him, but I'm not going to lie. Like I know batting average and stolen bases are like what you should be focused on right? Because the other things they're available later on, right? And there's, you know, some other things, but the thing about P I'm a believer. Like, I think that this guy is just a really good hitter. Like, I think the batting average, you know, is solid enough. Like, I think, you know, he's cut down the K rate, like you mentioned. Again, I think there's luck there. I think there's luck there, you know, 76.7% contact rate, which is slightly better than league average you know, and he's down at 19.9%. I think the projections are right here where they have him like between 21.4 and 22%. I think that's much more likely to be the case, you know, with league average around like 23.5, you know, 22 seems more in line there. But even with that, like it's a decent amount of contact, you know, that he's making, you know, he's absolutely crushing the ball. You know, we know the max EV is, is lights out 118.4, you know, barrels. He had 65 barrels for those 37 home runs. You know, so, um, you know, a little bit down, you know, maybe maybe earned or deserved a few more home runs there. Um, But the dude can just hit. He's got a good plate discipline, uh, hits the ball in the air a decent amount. Like, I just love everything. Like, if I were to be like, he's like a guy where I'm like, man, I could make this pick and he's going to be good. Like, I have no doubt he's going to be good. I've got no doubt he's going to contribute. Whereas with like, Matt Olson, I'm like, mm, he could hit 230. Like, I could see him hitting 230, 240, you know, and really kind of hurting you a little bit there. I mean, big me, Pete, I'm like, you're going to hit 260, man. You you may even hit higher than 260. You're going to absolutely crush the ball. Like, you're just absolutely going to crush the ball. You're in an improved lineup, generally speaking, you know, depending on where they slot people. But, like, Mark Connor has an absolutely fantastic OBP, you know. Um, Frank Frankie Lindor can't hit worse than he did last year. Right. Brandon so there's Nimmo so many, gets on base like crazy. Nimmo gets on base like crazy. Like it's just, you know, there's some there's some really good things that could happen. Like, would I be surprised if you hit like 280 with 50 home runs and like nope. 100 runs and 120 RBI? I, I wouldn't. He'd probably like steal 10 bases too. Just a cherry big, on top. He's big, dude, he's big meat, Pete the Polar Bear. Yep. So I, 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 I don't. I don't mind this pick. I haven't made this pick. So I'm the bottom line is you, you need a pocket aces with JTR and Big Meat Pete. Oh, That's what you need to do. Could, you need to, you need to be... focus on this. Well, Big Meat Pete <laughs> falls to me at like 70, pick 70 when I'm doing that. Like I, I, I might grab him there. I mean, he's the 38th ranked player. ADP That's was value. was 66 when I when I did it. I mean, over the last two weeks, he's at 71. You know, so he's falling in drafts. Yep. Um, 
So that might be a little bit intriguing because, yeah, 38th best player, you're getting a tremendous amount of perceived value there, like in, in terms of the differential like between his ADP and, and his rank. I mean, $22, he's right right ahead of, of Paul Goldschmidt, you know, but going 15 picks later, I mean, that's pretty juicy. Yep. It's going to be fun. I can't wait till I see that tweet come out where Toby takes big meat Pete. It's going to happen. I, I can feel it coming. Oh, dude. Unless someone just wants a to lot of money, a lot of money on the line. I'm just going to big meat Pete it. But the thing is, if for like an <laughs> overall, that's the kind of guy. That's the kind of dude for an overall because if he hits that 50 home run mark, it's like when you look at later round picks, like I started digging into like post 200 draft picks just in general. There's not, there's a couple, maybe 30 home run guys, a lot of 20 home run guys. Ain't no 50 home run guys. So, and I know Pete's not post 200, but that just shows you the gap. Like in, in home runs that you, like you say, you can get home runs later. You can, you're not getting 50 home runs later. So <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a big difference how it works out, but that's kind of the, the risk reward of the situation. And I know yourself and I usually am too, as I'm more of a risk guy later in the draft, <laughs> but um, you know, you might have to pay for some big beat Pete. That's just the way it's going to go. And uh, and one thing to consider too is with the dip in power from last year, home runs are much more valuable. So like Big Meat Pete goes out and hits 50 home runs. Now 80th percentile in a draft and hold at least, I think is 310 home runs. So you're talking about a guy who's getting one sixth. He's huge. getting you one sixth of the way to 80th percentile if he gets that. I mean, we're we're speculating here. We're speculating on 50 home runs. For that, leave, that leaves 12 other offensive spots to get the five-sixth. I mean, <laughs> I think 13 spots, right? I have 14. 14 yeah, hitters? Yeah, 13 spots. 13 spots. That's pretty I good. I mean, like, pretty I mean, good. just throw in a couple miles straws in there, and you're still in good shape. Yeah. I'm telling you, we're starting to build. Get Alberto Montesi. Hey, there you go. I, mean, I saw you drafted Alberto's going 30-70 this year, dude. Yep. I mean... Because I drafted him. That's what I was saying. You drafted him, so we saw it. It's my right. one Adalberto Mondesi share. I got him at 70, 73. Pick 73. I mean, at that point, I'm like, play 50% of the games. Yep. And, you know, well, and I, we've, said it, we've said it before. Is I think he's – people get mad when we say comments, I guess, or anybody says comments, I guess. But he's perfect for a DC because you drafted two or three other basemen. He's hurt. Put another yeah, guy it's in. true. It's not like – like you don't have to go to the waiver wire and hope you know so and so is on the waiver wire. Like you have other guys you could throw in there. It's the perfect storm for having Mondesi. Um, I mean, the so. guy stole seventeen bases in one hundred and twenty six at bats yeah. last year. It's crazy. If he gets his, to three hundred at bats, he's stealing thirty bases. People, his pace, his and he's going to hit insane. ten home runs. Well, I mean, and he's so fun to have on your team because it's like. Oh. When you're he goes just, off, it's awesome. Oh, dude, you're just like you check the box score every day. Like every time, every time you're like you're like on your phone and he's up to bat and he gets on first, and you're just like, oh hell yeah! And you're well, like, just think, just think nobody about else this. in front of him. He's getting second. He's getting third. Like, well, just, come just on. think about this. He's projected by the Bad X ATC to play 120 or 121 games, hit just 17 or 18 homers, and still get anywhere from 38 to 42 bases in only 120 games. That leaves you 42 other games, six weeks of baseball for a replacement player. So you could potentially get like 30, 50, 30, 60 out of that position if you draft it properly. Baba, here's the deal. All right. And one of my DCs, which I will name Adalberto Big Meat. I'll do it. I am going to do, I'm going to get 
at Alberto. And wow, it's going to be tough. I need them both to fall. You can call it get... Jam JTR for JTR Alberto and, and Big Meat Pete Jam. <laughs> I'm going to do those. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to rock that, dude. Just punt oh pitching. Oh my god, to those opposite. two on the same team, at Alberto and Big Meat Pete on the same team. That that when is Toby, a team I will root when for. Toby wins the DC overall with that team. Just, oh just my that. god. Yeah. Holy. Okay, I'm reining this back in. Sixth first baseman off the board here at pick 88. So we're taking a jump, basically 24 picks from Pete Alonzo. Uh, a little less than two rounds in a 15-teamer, two rounds in a 12-teamer, of course. Jose Abreu, pick 88 overall. And he is another one of those kind of goalie types, the uh, just epitome of consistency. Not going to hit for the average of a goalie. He's going to hit like more like 260, maybe run into a 270 if things click right these days. But he's gonna hit you. He's gonna get you another big um, power season, potentially like the thirty home run range, more often than not. And what Abreu does so incredibly well because of that Chicago White Sox team drives in all of the runs, all but two seasons. One of which was the sixty game twenty twenty two season. So all but one regular length season, he has had at least a hundred RBIs, which is pretty crazy. That's six of seven seasons over a hundred RBIs. Usually gets you 80-plus runs scored, but the power is there. Average is decent, and he plays a lot because he DHs and plays first base. He's played over 150 games in five of his seven full baseball seasons. This guy literally is the pencil it in. Let's rock and roll. This is what you're going to get. So, again, and he's boring. People just don't want to draft him. He fell to 99 in our Battle of the Podcast draft. Um, He's a stud, an absolute stud, but uh, people just kind of like he's old. They don't want to deal with him, but – as long as that DH is there, I don't see it being a problem right now. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's he's super interesting to me. I mean, another guy that I haven't drafted yet, but I just feel like is in for a really good year. We talked about this in the review pod, but there's so many similarities between last year and 2018. You know, in 2018, he had his his second lowest batting average at 265. Last year, he hit 261. Those are the only two years that his BABIP has been under 320. Right. It's it's three twenty four for his career. You know, so there's some bad luck there. We look at the variance again, you know, like the inline drive rate. You know, he had a the second lowest line drive rate of his career, you know, which is probably one of the reasons why, you know, you're looking at a guy who, you know, hit two sixty instead of two seventy, two eighty um last year. You know, once that normalizes closer to what it what it has been throughout his career, you know, that batting average goes up a little bit. Um, you know. And like, he's just all around solid. Like the contact rate's great. It it increased after it went down, you know, in that shortened season when he was so phenomenal, it's still down a little bit from previous, um, previous highs, but, you know, still enough where him hitting 280, you know, 290, uh, I don't necessarily think is is a problem. Not that you're going to bank on that happening, but I could definitely foresee that happening. Um, Continues, you know, to hit the ball hard, 44 barrels last year, 10.2%. You know, barrel rate, you know, is max EV 115.6, you know, is is rock solid there. So, um, again, I think there's a lot to like about Abreu. I think you can look for, you know, similar contributions to what he did in 2019, you know, 284, 33, 85, 123. I think that seems, you know, within the range of possibilities. If you look at ATC, it's even got him at 266, 31, 86, and 100. You know, so you're just looking at a change in the batting average there to boost that up a little bit. So I think he's really good. He's very solid. You know, the same conversation, like a broken record around first baseman. 
you know, he doesn't have the stolen bases necessarily. And maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe he doesn't have the elite batting average because in his last three full seasons, 265, 284, 261. But, you know, again, a, a rock solid pick, a guy who's going to contribute. You put him in there. You're not really worried about a total stinker. Like he's going to do, he's going to do some work. Yeah, no, he's, he's pretty darn awesome until it's like the Nelson Cruz thing. Until I see something weird take place, I'm just going to keep trusting Abreu's going to, going to hit. He just he gets it done time and time again. So I'm with you on that one. Uh, the seventh first baseman off the board, going to pick 110, is Ryan Mountcastle. And I looked just for fun, like the last two weeks per se, since like news came out on the fence, it's 114. He's not dropping a ton. And um, he hit 33 home runs last year, hitting 255. Projections still have him for 31 plus. I know Andrew Perpetua uh, did some research on the fence deal, and he's one of the guys that really doesn't get penalized a lot because his pulled home runs were just bombs is what it comes down to. So we'll see how that plays out. But Mountcastle was a stud, uh, rookie of the year type stuff, but uh, I still have trouble grabbing him here. Yeah, you know, I haven't grabbed him much. I mean, maybe it's the play discipline. It's not ideal. You know, he swings at pitches outside of the zone a ton, 41.5%. You know, his contact rate's low, 70.6%. Um, you know, so there's some concerns there with the elevated K rate and the really bad, you know, O swing, like close to like league worst O swing type stuff. You know, whether, you know, but obviously he was really good last year. So the question is like, is he just one of these guys like, you know, an Eddie Rosario, like Bobby a Javi Baez, Baez who, yeah. who can, and obviously El Garcia, who can be successful with that approach. I mean, if so, those guys have proven to be, really valuable from a fantasy contribution perspective. So, you know, again, like I don't mind it too much. I think there's, there's a cap on that batting average right now because the strikeout rate, you know, is, is so high because the swing and miss is so high. The chase rate is so high, you know, obviously there's the Camden issue. We don't have a huge sample in terms of his home runs, you know, again, so we can at least expect him to lose a couple I think it's interesting that Steamer has him at the lowest. I know that Steamer has accounted for the change, you know, in in home stadium there with the 29 home runs compared to, you know, between 31 and 33 for the bad X and the ATC projections. Um, so, yeah, you know, so we'll see. So I don't necessarily mind it because of where he's going, you know, is still, um, you know, uh, it's not super high up there. But when I think about like, you know, him, like, versus like an Abreu or somebody like that. I'd rather kind of pay up a little bit more to grab an Abreu than I would a Mount Castle just because we don't have the track record and because the plate discipline, you know, gives me a little bit of a little bit of the heebie-jeebies, but yeah. Yeah, like I like Mount Castle. I liked him last year for his value. This year's a little different. Like I have him as my 13th first baseman kind of after that next glob of t- guys we talk about because like, I feel like I can kind of trust what these other guys are going to put out there, which I, I like a lot more where Mount Castle... Uh, it seems like there's a lot of risk reward. The one thing I'll say is, like he he is swinging a ton outside the zone, but his O contact's pretty close to league average, which is good. So he's making a ton of contact outside the zone, but so he might he might be a bias type. We'll see. Like, time will tell. But like, I but is that Javi, good? Yeah. One thing is, I I am a Javi Bias fan, but but that's because I've seen him do it multiple years. Where Ryan Mountcastle, that was his first full season in baseball, in Major League Baseball. So yeah. it's kind of the, the the differences between the two. It's you know, Baez has proven to me time and time again this is just who he is. And one year, I've, I've admitted, one year it's just going to fall off a cliff, and that's going to be horrible. 
Mountcastle's one year could be now because we haven't seen it ever happen again. So it's like if, if, if he does it again this next year, well, I'll kind of reevaluate things. I'll be like, okay, maybe this is who the dude is. Like legit could be him. And one thing to think about if he's swinging outside the zone, I have to have to look like, is he swinging more on the outside corner or is it more on the inside pitches? Because if it's outside with his power, he could flick it over the right field wall in Camden. We've seen that ball fly out of right field. And that way the fence has no big deal to what's going on. I haven't looked at any of that stuff. I have no idea. But um, he's a powerful guy, so it's not like he he gets like some people when they're like they're just chasing all the time. They're hitting weak ground balls and stuff. Where Mountcastle is a big, strong dude, so I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how that kind of plays out going into this next year. All right, the eighth first baseman off the board. He plays first base, second base, and third base. He's picked 116 overall, and he plays for everyone's favorite team, the New York Yankees. Uh, DJ LeMahieu. Played in 150 games last year, which I would have lost a bet if he would have told me that because he only hit 10 home runs, only stole four bases, hit 268. We found out now that he had a, an injury he was dealing with like all year. He's had surgery on that. He's supposed to be fine. But he's another one of those guys that I wasn't into last year. It is, is like he, had, he was very high ADP last year. He's much more, I guess, formidable to people that do like DJ LeMahieu. I've just never been a guy that can just – I don't know. I got rid of Jake Cronenworth or something else in, in that range. So I've never been in on DJ LeMahieu, but what's what's your take? Because if he's leading off for the Yankees, there's a lot of merit to that still. Yeah. Um, before I hop into the DJ LeMahieu, I just want to say there's a lot of pressure right now on Drew Morris. Yeah. Um, I'm on there's that. a lot of pressure on Drew Morris. It's currently midnight 06, 1206. Uh, in Eastern uh, Standard Time. And I know that Drew lives on the East Coast, but he is the only thing, ladies and gentlemen, standing between you, the listener, and Bubba and the Batflip, both making draft picks in the Battle of the Pods League, DC. Now, I'm I'm doubtful that that's going to happen because I think he's probably asleep. But um, if he comes through, that could be that that could be stuff of legends right there. Um, so with that said, cause you all want to know who we're going to pick with in our 190th pick, you know? Uh, so DJ LeMahieu, yeah, I really like DJ this year. I've talked about it. You're probably not getting him as a first baseman, although in one of my leagues, I may end up with him as my first baseman. You know, you're probably getting him for third, maybe for second, you know, or whatever, but you know, there's, there's the triple position eligibility, which is beautiful. Like you mentioned, he was injured. You know, and so if we not that we can just like discount entire seasons, but, you know, let's take out last season. His batting averages are, you know, 364 shortened season, 327, 276, 310, 348, 301. You know, you get the point, right? Like this guy hits for a very high average. And like you said, if he's hitting for a very high average, you know, then he's getting on base at a pretty good clip. He's got good play discipline, the O swing has been better than league average in all of the last seven seasons. It was down at 25.6%, you know, last year. He makes a ton of contact. He goes the opposite way. You know, he should have a decent, you know, a pretty good BABIP, you know, career 340. Um, so if you say like, okay, the guy's injured, he's going to get back to that, you know, let's call it a 330 BABIP, 320 even, you know, building in some regression. Like, I mean, it's going to be juicy. And, you know, last year he scored, he had, he had 679 plate appearances as the leadoff hitter. And he only scored 84 runs last year for the, for the Yankees. You know, that's not something that's going to happen again. That's one of those things that you should be on the lookout for is when a guy, like when the runs per plate appearance is just way too low for where they are, like 
you know, he's got Aaron judge behind him. He's got Giancarlo Stanton. He's got whoever the number two hitter is. I can't even think about it right now, but like, Oh, it's probably judge, right? It's like, should be is that what their lineup is? The order. a lot. Well, let's see. What are the Yankees? What does the Yankees lineup look like? It's always changing. Show me. So you got, yeah, LeMayhew, Judge, Stanton, Gallo. I mean, come on. This guy's going to score runs like crazy. Well, he, better score, he better score runs by Stanton because Gallo's going to strike out and then, then Gary Sanchez is going to strike out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then uh, Glaber Torres is going to knock them all in in yes. his you MVP took Glaber season. Torres too. I saw that. I take, I, I'll take a Glaber. I'll take a Glaber for sure. Um, yeah, but I mean, you look at like, you know, even his career home run per fly ball rate is 10%. Last year it was 7.7%. So that should go up. I think you're looking up at least 15 home runs from the guy, especially with that short porch. I mean, it's built for having like a higher home run per fly ball rate um, than he, he's had, you know, before. Like in his previous two seasons with the Yankees at 19.3 and 27%, you add those three seasons together. I can't do the math in my head, but you're probably looking at like a 15, 15% you know, plus um, home run per fly ball rate um, over the course of those three seasons, you know, and, and if that's the case, like, you know, sign me up, he'll, he'll give you a handful of stolen bases as well. I really love where he's going. I think he, he can make your team better in so many different ways from the flexibility to the batting average, to the runs, you know, I mean, he's beautiful. Yeah. See, um, I agree with everything you said. That's why like, I need to just change my focus on, DJ, like I did with Brandon Lau already in a draft. It's one of those deals. But I feel like there's always someone in my drafts that likes him even more than I do. And they're just reaching for DJ LeMayu. So maybe that'll change in redrafts because DC people favor that uh, position eligibility a lot more potentially. So maybe it'll be a little different uh, in, in another month when I start doing some redraft leagues to kind of maybe get some DJ because the run scored, I think, is going to be very, very nice with him. I'm with you on that for sure. So might have to re-examine the DJ LeMahieu part of uh, of my process in this one. Because at first base, yeah, you're right. You're not drafting over first base. It's nice to have in case you have injuries or whatever. So, like, that you can you can slug them in there. But um, that's not the goal. That's not the that's not the plan when you're drafting TJ LeMahieu. All right. The ninth first baseman off the board. And in the last 24 hours, it has flip-flopped with number 10. So, now wow. the ninth first baseman off the board in the past 30 days is Jake Cronenworth. First base, second base, shortstop. At pick 125, um, I love Rake. He had 21 homers last year, four stolen bases, 94 runs scored, hit 266. Uh, the projections still like him. Like they don't think he's that much power, but probably some more speed. Uh, that uh, Padres offense is going to need some work, so that's going to be interesting because that overall team does not look as great as it could look. But I, I like what Cronenworth can do, and he was banged up off and on last year too, and still put up a, a rather solid set of numbers. Um, that's why it's fun kind of comparing him and uh, DJ LeMahieu for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he is interesting. I mean, I think the batting average is obviously, I think the batting average ceiling is a lot lower, you know, than LeMahieu necessarily. The power, you know, is pretty, pretty comparable. Uh, he hit 21 home runs last year. He had those 35 barrels. You know, he's now got 25 home runs on 50 barrels, you know. So, um uh, you know, decent pop there. I know that we gave him a little bit of crap last year because it was just kind of like, I'm not sure exactly what he does super well, but he does contribute across the board. You know, the runs in RBI are going to be interesting. Where are they projecting him to hit in that lineup? Because we were, I was talking about on the, 
on the catcher podcast um, that I did with uh, James Anderson and Dave McDonald, like, oh, so they have him batting third. Like it's a, yep. it's not a great lineup. No, that's what I was saying. It's not great, yeah. but you have to imagine once the lockout's over, they're making some more moves. Preller likes yeah, to I trade. Mean, I mean, Trent Grisham is okay. Tatis is obviously amazing. Machado's amazing. Cronin worth hitting third there. Yep. Hosmer after that. Will Meyer. Like, yeah. it's just, um, you know, although like I'm kind of a Haasun Kim fan this year. So I, I'm I'm interested to see if he, you know, if he can get into the lineup on a more regular basis. But yeah, so it's just it's not that great of a lineup. So maybe those runs and RBI numbers are 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 fair for him. Um, it's just like, it's not, I just don't think there's the upside that there is with some other guys like LeMahieu being one example, but you know, even like, you know, with some of the guys going later, like CJ Crone, Josh Bell, even Ty France, you know, where it's kind of like you can get them a little bit later in the draft. They're going to have relatively comparable batting averages to Cronenworth, probably not as good but a lot more power, probably better counting stats. And then Cronenworth hasn't really shown that he will steal bases all that often, you know, um, in his career thus far, he's got seven in 835 plate appearances. So we're kind of hoping that he does because we know that the sprint speed is there, but you know, he's only seven for 11 on those attempts. He was only four at for seven last year. He's hitting in front of Machado, so maybe they're not giving him the green light for that reason. You know, so just like a lot of different things that maybe where it's like he's fine, but I don't I don't love him um, here. I think there's better later. It's tough. Like, similar to DJ for me as I'm not drafting him for first base. Like, in my first base rankings, I have him ranked 21st at first base because I, I don't want him at first base. Now, if you look at my other rankings, he's much higher because like I prefer him at second base, maybe even as a middle infield option later on, probably not shortstop even. Like it's it's nice to have the flexibility, but he's not really a, a first baseman for me. I, I love the hit tool. The lineup scares me more than I thought it would when uh, looking at that earlier today. But I still think there's 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 more to to Jake there if they can just get the right. If he's hitting between Tatis and Machado, he's going to get a lot of pitches to hit, a lot of pitches to hit. So there, there's a little strategy to that as well by building him in the lineup there, but I don't know. It'll be interesting. I think we saw some really, really good spots from Jake last year. We also saw some, uh, some slumps when he was banged up last year. Uh, be interesting to see where he kind of, uh, pans out for sure. The 10th and final first baseman off the board in the top 10 here is Jared Walsh of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim going to pick 126. Walsh is a, is a fun one. 29 home runs last year, hit 277, 98 RBIs, struck out 28% of the time. So he got, he's got that going for him. Massive BABIP as well, but, that comes with hitting the ball hard. The projections still like him, you know, 27 to 30 home runs, give or take. Uh, the average drops quite a bit, though, more like a 250 to 260 guy, which probably seems a little more reasonable, all things considered, because they have his BABIP dropping quite a bit to kind of even even things out there. But there's no doubting how hard he hits the ball, how consistent he hits the ball. He barrels it up all over the place. Uh, there's a lot to like with him, but a massive ground ball guy that puts up that kind of production is uh, pretty interesting, to say the least. Yeah, he, he's definitely interesting. I have not grabbed him yet, even though he shows up as one of the better um, better uh, values on, on the spreadsheet, um, or he he did. Um, it's interesting. I wonder if the Bat X has him. Yeah, the Bat X has him as the, has the worst projection for him. So I had like ATC, ATC and Steamer combined, and now I've added in the Bat X for, for hitters and the Bat for, for pitchers, and definitely likes him the least. 
from batting average and power perspective and, you know, counting stats. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree. Like the batting average is definitely higher than I think it should be. The power is, is fairly legit. And I think one thing to think about this, I should actually check, um, would be like what his home road splits are. Uh, they're actually not that, that different because, you know, a- Anaheim plays as the, the best left-handed power park in the baseball, um, I have seen, uh, in some places. And so, you know, that's definitely going to help him out, um, uh, considerably. And I was listening to a podcast and I cannot remember which one it was. Um, maybe it was, maybe I was listening to the stream that Justin and Dave were doing yesterday, but I think they were talking about Jared Walsh and his platoon splits. Like he has a really low batting average, I think, um, you know, when he's hitting left-handed, yeah, he hits 196. Um, but he has a decent amount of power. Um, let's see, what do we got? Um, well, actually maybe I'm, maybe I'm lying there. Um, maybe it was just last year then maybe it was last year. I'm just, I was looking at his career. Maybe it was just in 2021 that that was the case. Um, but no, although hit 170, he hit 10 home runs though from the left side of the plate. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. 48 WRC plus doesn't seem good. Any way you shake it or a 241 Woba. So whatever I was listening to, I disagree with them. So there is like the platoon element that maybe you're concerned about, um, with Walsh. I just, I struggle with the other first baseman on the board, longer track record, similar profile, um, grabbing him where he's going. Cause he's like, you said, he's going like 10. He's going in that 125-ish range. You can wait another 30 picks and pick up guys that are that are still relatively similar to him. So I'm not that into him. Sorry, Jared. Yeah, that's that's my problem with him as well. Like I like the hit tool, I like the power. There's a lot of question marks. Like I believe the projections when they have him dropping in batting average, because even if you look at the X stats, not the end all be all, but they even showed that he outperformed his batting average by a good probably 20 to 30 points as well. And most of the projections have him dropping 28, 20, you know, 15 to 20 points. And a lot of that's Babbitt related, as you mentioned. So we'll have to wait and see. Like, I don't, I'm not as worried about the the platoon as I think some others are because, you know, you, you're still going to play him at first base more than often, more often than not, I believe, because, you know, you have Otani DH, and I doubt he plays too much outfield. Uh, Trout will be back, which would be nice. And I guess you do have Adele and Walt, um, uh, Marsh and some other guys. So you have a lot of moving pieces. But I think they're going to want to keep Walsh's power out there for now. But we'll see. Maybe they have so many options. If he scuffles at all, they'll kind of be like, you know what? We're going to take a little breather here and, and see where it goes. We played 144 games last year, which I think is pretty darn good for his first full campaign. And uh, I think if he does that again, he's good for 25-plus. But like you said, there's a lot of 25-plus coming up right after him in, the, in at the first base position. And that's what makes it a fun position like we talked about at the beginning strategy-wise. Like, do you want to take a stud early? Or do you want to wait on a lot of similar players? Like Toby tweeted it out. It was so funny for people that have been doing drafts. Like Rob Silver commented and others is this 25 to 30 home run guy is all over first base. It's there's a there's a ton of them if you want to strat, you know, strategy, strategize, however you want to say it, around it to make it interesting. For so for this next portion, picks eleven through twenty, ADP wise. We're going to take two guys each like usual, and I left. Uh, it's funny, too, because I almost took the first one, but I knew you liked him, so I left him because well, I could literally stole take my, You stole one of my guys. I Well, I could almost take, like, 
almost all these guys if I really wanted to. I could make arguments for most of them, but it's CJ Crone, Josh Bell, Ty France, Reese Hoskins, Joey Votto, Tyler Stevenson, big, big, big guy, big guy, Tyler Stevenson, Alex oh, Kirloff, Anthony Rizzo, Max Muncy, Trey Mancini. That ranges from pick 131 to pick 189. So literally 60 picks, four rounds. You can get all of these first basemen. So if you want to wait, and it's a fun section because if like you like a good chunk of these guys, you can basically wait for someone to take the first one and go, okay, that means my next pick. I got like they someone can start the run and you don't feel like you're gonna miss out type situation. It is kind of a nice thing with this range. So Toby, who is your first of two picks in this range you'd like to discuss? Um, I've chose Josh Bell. Um, because I think one of the ways that he differentiates himself from this crew, at least a little bit, um, is with um with with the batting average. Um I think that, you know, last year, like we were worried he was broken after 2020, if you remember. Um, but he put it together, you know, he had uh, close to a, you know, highest contact rate since 2018. You know, so he was making a ton of contact with the ball. Um, he was, you know, destroying it like 150, close to 160 max EV. You know, he did, he had 35 barrels, 27 home runs. So maybe a little high there. 8.8% barrel rate, but he also had a ground ball rate that was like 53.5%, you know? And so last year he had 55.7 this year. He had 53.5 in previous seasons. He's had 44, 48.5, 51.1 and 50. So if, if big, if, but if he can get into those, into the forties, you know, with his ground ball rate, I think you're talking about a handful more home runs. He could be among the league leaders in RBI solely because he's going to be hitting, you know, behind um, Juan Soto, who's going to be on base, you know, over 40% of the time. Um, The Nationals Park is really nice. They now don't have any competition for him. So he's not going to be like platooning with Ryan Zimmerman anymore. He's going to be playing every day. He only had 568 plate appearances last year. I really think that he can be a, a pretty big difference maker with the batting average power and just overall contributions that he's going to make. And, and there's another gear there that we've seen, you know, in, in, in bits and pieces throughout his career. And if he could just put together that one season, you know, where he kind of puts it all together, um, it could be pretty massive. So we'll see. Yep. No problem with Josh Bell in my book. My first guy, and it's uh, just on brand for the show, and I have his autographed baseball above uh, my TV, um, thanks to our, our wonderful trivia contest that we take place in every year. But uh, Reese Hoskins. Reese Hoskins, Reese's Pieces, is a, a, a diehard fan of the show, I bet. I really bet he is. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a diehard dude, fan of, of Reese Hoskins. I, he DMs me after every show. I believe like, it. Just to say how good of a show it was. And and it's because he talked about his teammate too in JTR the way you do. Oh, so it's it's man. a big, big deal for him. But um, last year we saw it coming back, you know, 27 home runs, you know, he hit 29 and 34 his last two full seasons, he got hurt, but he was absolutely mashing before he got hurt. Average was there when he, before he got hurt because he started out slow last season. So you'll see a 247 average, like, yeah, whatever. But he was crushing it towards the end of the 27 home runs. He was on pace for probably a good 35 to 40 home runs. He only did that in 107 games which is pretty nice. you got projection sites having him for 30 to 35 homers, playing in less than 130 games this next year. He's never been a bat- big batting average guy. You just learned to accept that. 247 last year would have been his best batting average since 2017. 
So that's pretty solid. But the, the power is what you go for, and that'll result in runs scored and RBIs because in those 107 games, 64 runs, 71 RBIs. Obviously, you can prorate things out to like 130 games, and you're getting like 80 to 90 in each category, and you're very, very happy with life because you waited on the position and got an absolute stud. Uh, you know, Strikeout rate stayed similar, walked a little less this last year, but the overall skill set uh, is pretty darn good. The, the barrel rate, 17%, was the best of his career. Hard hit rate, 46.3% was the best of his career. Like I said, he was destroying baseballs. And even the X stats show he slightly underperformed what uh, the metrics might have given him on this one. But, um, you know, it, it's Reese is a very, very powerful guy as long as you're willing to accept the uh, the bad and average woes. And usually he's a great OBP guy, so the 10% walk rate was kind of a surprise from Reese Hoskins this last year so. I love everything about him. Uh, you know, the fly ball rate's pretty similar. Ground ball rate's pretty similar last year. Not too much to worry about there. It's strictly, to me, an injury thing. Um, you know, he swung a little more outside the zone this last year, but he also swung more inside the zone. He's swinging more often, which is, is what you like to see, at least what I like to see, because it's just, at least it's a consistent thing. It's not just one thing or the other. He's doing it everywhere, but the contact rates um, stayed similar to last year. Um, the O contact is down since 2019, which is kind of a bummer, but in line with pretty much his other powerful seasons. So we can live with that. But you know what you're going to get with Reese Hoskins as long as he's on the field, which is an if from time to time with Reese Hoskins. But you're in line for 30-plus home runs, one of the fewer guys to do that because I think most guys we could say 20 to 25. But Reese can get you 30 to 40 if things really, really run well. But uh, And uh, the power numbers but with Harper there, with Rio Muto there, lots of talent in Philadelphia. Like I, I love Reese Hoskins. That ballpark's very <laughs> conducive to power. Just stay healthy, Reese. Just stay healthy, and big things can happen. So Reese Hoskins is a guy that I have circled as one of my guys in this range. I would have taken him, honestly. I mean, he's so good. And and a couple things that – one thing you mentioned there is like the batting average. I mean, if you look at his career, 247, 245, 226, yep. 246, 259, it's really just that one year yep. that he's been a huge batting average suck. And with batting average where it is today, 257 yep. average and, you know – um uh, you know, average in fantasy, like it's not hurting you as much. And like the runs, you know, he has a career 311 runs and 326 RBI. So where there's all these guys that give you like very few runs and a lot of RBI in at first base, like he provides you with both. So I absolutely agree with your choice. Sweet. Who's your next guy? Uh, next guy. Um, I, knew, I, I didn't take him on first purpose. I, I cheated. I cheated. He's not in the top 20. He's not 11 to 20, but I don't, I don't it's your guy. I, you I don't know if I'm allowed. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, Yuli Gurriel is my guy. I mean, what does Yuli have to do to get a little bit of, um, a little bit of respect. love, respect every single season. The guy just contributes. And every single season, he keeps on falling further and further behind in drafts. I mean, what is happening here? Um, his like the dude's gonna hit 290 plus, you know, he's gonna hit you 15 to 20 home runs, he's gonna get you 80, you know, runs, he's gonna get you 80 RBI, he might steal a bag or two. Like that batting average late at the first base position. It, or at corner infield is just so golden and he's going to play every day. He's going to hit in the middle of that lineup. Like he's just so underrated um, from my perspective and I love him and I continue to just 
you have them a lot of different places. Um, and I'll continue to do that. Yeah. I don't blame you. Like, uh, I've slowly become a, a later round Guriel fan, especially in these DCs as like my second first baseman. There's a lot of, a lot of stability there. Put him there, corner infield at times, just plug him in. Like you've sold me on him in the past. He's going to play pretty much every day. Quality at bats. He's, there's really nothing he's going to hurt your team with. Like you, you know, you're not going to get 30 home runs anymore, but everything else he does is just consistently good. And they haven't projected hit in the middle of that order again. So it's uh yeah, there's not a whole lot to complain about uh, Guriel. He's just getting older, and like the the power is like slowly going away, but everything else is still pretty darn good. So z- zero complaints with you on that one. My guy, Joseph Votto, um, was absolutely amazing last year, as most know. Just a power machine, 36 home runs in 129 games. It's been well documented that he was selling out uh, plate discipline, being more aggressive. One would say. For the batting average, because yeah, I hit 266, but you know, 261 back in 2019, and that's when the drop started. 284 in 2018 started slowly dropping, but he still walked 14.4 percent of the time. He still had a 375 bat or OBP last year, which is absolutely insane for a guy that hit 266 with an OBP at 375. So the plate discipline to me still looked pretty darn good. He's just more aggressive, I guess, with this swing approach in the zone is what it really came down to because the ISO was through the roof at 297. Um, he, he was just a monster, and I don't see it changing anytime soon, especially playing in Great American Small Park, where he's going to get so many cheapies in that ballpark, and not many of us were cheapies to begin with. But when you go from a 9% bell rate in 2020 to 6.4% in 2019, to 17.2 last year, with a 53% hard hit rate when you've lived in the 30s your entire career, even if some regression shows up, and he's now like a 12% barrel guy and a 45% hard hit guy, he's still hitting you 25 to 30 home runs. Like, he's still going to absolutely destroy baseballs. And you know, like I, like I said, he's getting more aggressive. He's selling out for power. But the plate discipline sells so good that he's not going to crush you in what you're doing. So he's quality there. He's going to have Jonathan India hit in front of him. He's going to have, like, Stevenson there. He's going to have other aspects in that Reds lineup, whatever they mix and match and get guys in there. He's still going to be very, very productive. You're paying more than last year, of course. Like, I picked him up on the waiver wire. Other guys did last year. But I think he's a beast. I think he's in that fun realm here with the bells and the belts and all these guys that we talk about. So I'm a huge Votto fan. I've grabbed him in a few leagues as my corner infielder. Like I'm willing to play him at first base if I need to. Like if I if I just totally miss on the position, I think he's still going to be that good. And when this DH comes into play, he's one of those guys that's going to give him like four or five more years on his career probably because the hit tool is I don't think it's going to leave with Votto anytime soon. So I'm a big fan. He's like the we could say he's the National League version of um, Jose Abreu. Let's go with that. I think there's a lot to be said about Joseph Votto. If he does it again this year, he's going to be getting drafted next to Jose Abreu next year. So enjoy the value while you still can is the way I look at it with Joseph Votto. So big fan. Love it. All right. 21 and later ADP, guys. Who's your one target? I kind of cheated because he's not that far back. But um, I did want to talk about Bobby Dahlbeck. Um, I think he's really good. Um, I think he's going to force his way into that lineup. The dude just absolutely crushes. He had 25 home runs last year and 453 plate appearances. He had 53 barrels last year for 20.2% barrels per plate per batted ball event. He had almost as many barrels as Joey Votto had um, last year, which is just nuts. And I think what's most impressive about Dahlbeck, and again, like he's got to make it and, and play on a regular basis. But um, what's most impressive with him is if you look at his rolling average graphs, 
just some of the improvements that he made, you know, over the course of the year in a variety of different categories. And I think it was kind of talked about how Kyle Schwarber had a, had a really positive impact on him, you know, um, and kind of teaching him like how to hit the ball and where to hit the ball. But you saw like surging contact rates, you know, um, especially overall contact rates toward the end of last year, still low at 67.7%, but much higher than about the 62%, 63% that he was averaging throughout his career before then. The hard hit rate surged as well, 44%. Ground ball rate fell to 29%. So he's hitting the ball in the air a ton. The O swing, you know, improved as well, you know, 32%. So he's really improving across the board in every single area that you really want to see those improvements happening. The batted ball quality is just filthy. I think it's just a matter of him getting into that lineup. And I think he will get there um, because I think the bat just plays too well, you know, for him not to. Um, It's just... You know, it just absolutely crushes. So uh, is Schwarber a free agent? Is that right? Yes. Yes, he is. He is. So Dahlbeck's penciled him for first base right now. You know, whether or not he ends up being there, like, uh, he's, the dude's just good. I mean, he just, he mashes. And the batting average isn't going to be fantastic. But if he can get that, that just slightly under 30%, you know, for that, for that, for that K rate, um, you know, he's got 35 home run plus power and, um, and he'll be in a really nice lineup and uh, it'll be really fantastic. It'll be beautiful. Yeah. Dahlbeck's a fun one. Dahlbeck's definitely one. I'm with you on that. It's like, there's definitely risk, very clear risk, but man, you want to talk risk reward later in the draft? Like he could put up some, just some astronomical numbers. Like you mentioned the what he did in the second half, the developments he made, if I didn't know the Kyle Schwarber stuff that you mentioned, but just, Looking at it, because we, we even joked about it last year, like he's going to hit everything hard, but he's going to swing and miss at like 70% of it, it feels like. So, it's, but he made some great adjustments and it it definitely showed as he got better and better. And he's young. We've got to remember that these kids are making adjustments as they, they learn on the big league level and a lot to be said about that. And he showed some big, big improvements. So I, I, I'm with you on that. He's a fun one. Like I have, I'm, I think I have one share. I have one share so far. I like him a lot. I paired him with, I think, Josh Bell and um, Brandon Belt. I, I, I took like three guys in this range because I didn't have any first baseman yet. So like, I paired them all. And it's like we're going to roll the dice and see what happens in, in the D.C. format. So very, very intriguing option for sure. Uh, there's a lot of interesting ones. If you need like 20 home run guys in this range, there's there's, there's a, some good later options, just not as many. Like You're going to get like two to three categories maybe as you get deeper in here. But one guy, it's kind of a personal thing because I've always wanted him to be awesome and He's got a chance to get regular playing time now, and that's Rowdy Rowdy Telez. I am a huge Rowdy Telez fan. Projected to hit like fifth or sixth in the Brewers lineup. Roster Resource has him platooning with Mike Brosu. Like, I'm sorry, like maybe I guess. Like we know Brosu can hit lefties well, but Rowdy's that good. And for the DH, it's gonna be hard to keep that battle of the lineup. He even hit lefties okay last year. It's like he's not like he's a complete suck against lefties, and that power is pretty darn good. We saw him hit um, 11 home runs in 106 games last year, hit 242. But, man, even even the, the projections, he's only playing like 113 games. I got him for 20 homers. I think we could legit see like a 130 to 140-game season from Rowdy if he's a starting first baseman slash DH for the Brewers. So we're getting closer to that 25-30 range potentially, which he's got the power to do that. We've seen his hard hit skills through the roof. His 11.6% barrel rate last year, 48% hard hit rate. Hard hit rate was the best of his career. Um, 
I know like people hate X stats. I've, I've started to learn that more and more, but there's still a fun reference when the gap is as big as it is with his X stats. They kind of stood out in a big way for me. So he, um, they might say, got unlucky um, at times, but he's a he's a he's a decent sized ground ball guy compared to fly ball, but a ton of line drives. And that's one of those things that you can get that little switch because last year he only had a twelve point four percent home run to fly ball, and in years past it was twenty one percent or better. That's quite a drop off. So literally, it could be like a slight little tweak, and now he's you know in Miller Park can go big big ways for him. And he's going to pick three ten. He's a thirty second first baseman off the board. So it's one of those things I like to talk about. You're going to get a starting first baseman after pick 300 that if he plays like 130 games could be a phenomenal asset to your fantasy team so in, in a regular redraft you probably won't even draft him so he's a fab acquisition but people drafting right now are doing draft champions in fpc 50s 12 teamers um he's a phenomenal later pick to me if, if you kind of get a couple first baseman early so i love rowdy Tlez. i think he's one of those guys that this time next year we could be talking about like in our doll back range maybe or even that next range up potentially if he gets the 130 to 140 games. So the hit tool has always been there. It's just been consistent playing time, which he finally looks to be getting in Milwaukee, which I'm, I'm very much looking forward to. All right, let's do a couple player debates here before we get to some listener questions. But uh, first base, CJ Crone, pick 131. Josh Bell, pick 134. Who do you got? Oh, man, it's a tough one. I mean, Crone's really good. I'm going to go with um, Bell here. Um, And the reason I'm going to go with Bell is I think like Crone, he just doesn't play that much, you know, like 547, 500. I know, but like injury wise, like he, he doesn't like 547 plate appearances, 40, 499, 560, 373, 445, you know, like, He's never really played that full season. I think they're remarkably similar. You do a really good job of picking these ones where, you know, they're both have, should have good batting average for like the first baseman that go in this area, you know, Crone, maybe like slightly more power, but on a per plate appearance basis, but I, I wouldn't put it past bell to get higher there. I think bell has a slightly better context, just even though Crone is in cores, like, that lineup just is going to be, it's going to be, yeah, it's not, it's not good. Um, And nationals ballpark plays really well for, for lefties. And he's also a switch hitter. So he's going to play every day. So, you know, I think he'll get more plate appearances or at least more opportunity for it. Um, And so I would lean bell in this particular instance. He's also going a little bit later um, than crone is too. I don't even think it's not even around. Right. But there's three, three picks. 131 and 134. They're right next to each other. Yeah. So um, I'll lean Bell here slightly, but I also maybe have a little bit of a bias against CJ Chrome for some reason because I never really consider picking him there. So that's probably also on me. They're fine. They're fine picks, both of them. Yeah. It's a fun one because most people will see Chrome, Coors Field, and it's easy, but it's not that easy. That's why it's a fun conversation because. You highlighted Josh Bell earlier. We've talked about him on the review show of how he kind of snuck into the Rasball player raider. That would have surprised people. He's really, really good. And playing with Juan Soto is going to be a huge. Cronin um, Coors, there's no doubt in it. It's going to help his batting average a ton like we saw last year, best of his career. But it also took some of his power away because that, that that's some people don't pay attention to that with Coors Field from time to time. I lean CJ Cron still, but I'm fine with Josh Bell. Like Josh Bell, I think – I think you're right where Josh Bell could have that next step. That could be tremendous. 
Where CJ Crone, I think we've kind of seen what he is, and that's why I like he's like kind of almost going to be reliable at times as long as he plays enough, and that's kind of nice to have. But uh, Josh Bell might be the, the right option. I'm going to take Crone though, but uh, it's very very close. I'd, if you just want to wait and take Josh Bell, I have zero problem with that at all. Next up, Frank Schwindel at pick two twenty eight. Nathaniel Lowe at pick two twenty nine. Oof, this one's pretty tough. Um, I'm I'm actually leaning Schwindel here. Um, I think Schwindel is actually like pretty good. I mean, across the board, like he's, there's nothing, no skill that's per, that's particularly overwhelming. But he seems to have the first base job locked up. Um, you know, he makes a lot of contact, 78% overall contact, very high end zone contact rate. He chases a little bit, but you're not as concerned when you see contact rates like that, you know, strikeout rate at 15.8%, you know, power, like the batting average. Yeah. He's probably not going to have a 348 Babbitt, you know, that's for sure. So he's not going to hit 326, but I think with the low K rate, you know, he should have a decent batting average. The batted ball quality is also, you know, decent enough, like 16 barrels, 8% barrel rate. Um, uh, you know, so I kind of lean him, um, a little bit, um, in this, in this particular one, you know, low is like, he's good, but I just, I don't know. I like, haven't really seen that like power that I, that I, that I want to see, you know? Um, although he does have a higher barrel rate. So maybe, maybe I would say a lot of ground balls, this thing. It's a lot of ground balls, but he'd be low. Could be the next Josh Bell. Could make an adjustment. I know, but it's tough. Uh, Why they go next to each other? It is. It is tough. It is tough. I'm going to go with Schwindel for right now, just because I said him first. But it's pretty close. Um, it's pretty close. Yeah, it, it's it's neck and neck. I have shares of both of these guys. Like, really, it goes back to my saying when, like, one guy goes, you can kind of watch the domino effect and jump in, and it's kind of like whoever's left at that point, I take one of these two, it feels like, more often than not. But I think the deciding factor for me, and it's maybe just kind of cherry-picking here, because I love Frank Schwindel. I think the batting average is actually – he's not going to hit 326, but projections like the bad X has him at 248. I think he's much more like a 280-ish. I think he's a legit good hitter is what, I, what I'm trying to say. With some pop, he's going to hit towards the top of that order, score some runs. Doesn't steal, though. Nate, Nate Lowe will steal you some backs, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. So, again, cherry-picking here. Just kind of like trying to, to decipher between the two. And I'm still a believer in Lowe's power. Like, I'm with you. We haven't seen it yet, but it's there. Like, we saw it in the minors. We saw glimpses of it at time. But, you know, 18 homers isn't horrible. And He, he played 157 games, 642 at-bats. He could still get you 15 to 20 home runs again. Um, steal some bags and i think the biggest thing that i like about nate low is you know they've picked up Simeon and seager which could be humongous benefactors for him in front of him to drive in runs it could be more runs to drive in potentially as long as they don't drive them all in of course but it could lead to him or maybe he hits they he hits between them or hits in front of them or there's a lot of ways that that could change things up so i'm gonna go low i'm gonna go nathaniel low but it's uh it's very interesting and, and the other thing is is Schwindel could get traded for all i know and that makes it tough. Obviously, you're not drafting with that in mind, but the Cubs are doing goofy things, and he's older, so they could they could make some moves if they have to. All right, last one I got here for you. A later, or no, I got two more. Sorry, Brandon Belt at 240 versus your boy Bobby Dahlbeck at 242. So, do you want all of the home runs, or do you want a guy that almost broke out big time last year? 
Oh man, Bubba, you got to stop with these. These are too difficult. Um, I can't handle them uh, at all. Um, I'm gonna go. You want the I'm gonna, I'm gonna power. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with Dahlbeck. I'm gonna yeah, go with Dahlbeck here. I'm going. I'm going belt. I like the batting average. I think the power is legit. It's just been a health thing, and you know the health the last few years is just getting hit by pitches. So it's not like it's the crazy injuries. So I'm going to take my chances with Brandon Belt again. But again, nothing wrong with Dahlbeck. We talked about him earlier. Nothing wrong at all. Like, here's a question on Belt. Not not a criticism because we all love Brandon Belt. But like, what's the most RBI he's had in a single season? Yeah, I'm. I got his page up right now. It's not a lot. Uh, Eighty-two, right? Yeah. What's the most runs he's had in a single season? 77. 77, right? What's the most home runs he's had in a season? 29. 29, right? So let's assume he hits career highs in home runs, 29, runs, 77, RBI, 82. Um, it just doesn't do it for me. You know what I'm saying? That's you know fair. what I'm saying? And not You're a criticism boring. of you choosing him, but just like. No, I get it. Yeah. I could see Dahlbeck just crushing Monster. things. Monster. No, I, I Dahlbeck literally, he could be your next big meat Pete type guy. Like, I, I totally get it. Like, he could be. So you're going to get big, big meat hey, Pete don't, Jr. Don't undersell Pete, big meat Pete like that. Right? <laughs> but this, he's got that power potential for you. Where Belt is good, it's just stay on the field. If he can play 130 plus games, I'm a big fan of what we got there. But it's a big effort time. But I, I just like the, I don't know. I think it's a safer floor where Dahlbeck's got that ceiling. So kind of pick your poison in that regard. The last one I have, it's a fun one. First base outfield eligible, both these guys. You got Lamont Wade Jr. sticking with the Bay Area boys at 309. Yoshi Satsugo at 312. Oh, dude, Yoshi all day. Yoshi all day. I mean, I think that the the problem is that Lamont Wade is gonna is gonna um, he's gonna platoon. There's no way he gets out of that platoon there. Well, and the injuries I, got him a lot of playing time because he played first base and outfield, but it's tough. Yeah, and I think Yoshi, you know, I think Yoshi is going to play pretty much every day there for the Pirates in that lineup. You know, he improved dramatically. I think it was Jeff Zimmerman that had his kind of rolling average graph up, you know, um, and he just really started, really seemed to thrive when he got to Pittsburgh. And he was playing every day and he was having that opportunity. So I think the plate appearances in the middle of that lineup playing every single day, you know, I think I'll, um, I think I will, I will go in that direction. Um, I think because um, I like Yoshi Tsutsugo. Yeah. I like, I like Yoshi as well. Cause I think he's going to have regular playing time. Like you said, that's a big difference. Like if we knew Wade was going to be locked into playing time, I like that profile a ton. But Yoshi should be the dude in Pittsburgh, so kind of makes it a, a little easier in that regard, but a, a fun one nonetheless. All right, listener questions. We had a lot of them from we you guys. We got a lot of them, Bubba. We're an yeah. hour and 35 minutes in, ladies and gentlemen. So this is a test to Toby here. Oh, this is a test God. to Toby. Um, we're going to skip Rob Silver because he's being funny, but I'm going to give him respect. He has to, like, which player projected for 250 and 25 and zero failed to hit 25, you know, the whole thing. It was funny. He, it was a it joke was to, the, to the tweet. Um but JB at beat Rick and Frank asks, do you, do we like Hunter Dozier for a comeback player? Yeah. You know, I don't mind Hunter Dozier at all. I mean, he's going really late, you know, he's going in the early, early to mid three hundreds. 
Um, I like, you know, he doesn't have first base eligibility. Oh man, he came one game short um, in the NFBC. So I haven't really been thinking about him from a first base perspective, but I've always liked Dozier a lot. Um, I think he struggled very clearly through injury all of last year with the thumb that really hurt his batting, but he started to put it together to put it together um, towards the end of the season. And I think he's the type of guy where, again, health is a major issue. He's only had 500 plate appearances. Well, he's had it twice, you know, in two of the last three, three, well, I guess in the last two full seasons. But he's a guy who can put it all together in stretches, you know, that are very, very impressive. I mean, where he's got elite plate discipline, elite contact, elite ground ball in terms of low ground ball rate. And then he's just absolutely like hitting the ball. Um, hitting the ball hard. And so I think he struggled a lot with the thumb last year. Um, I think he's going to play every day. He's going to steal you a handful of bases. He's going to hit, you know, 15 to 20 home runs. Um, You know, the batting average is a little bit of a sore spot, but I do think that he's capable of hitting um, above that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I think I, I could see him like, you know, hitting 250 with 20 home runs, five stolen bases and 70, 70, or, you know, something like that. Like similar to that, that 2019 season was kind of his pinnacle. But I think that's an example of, you know, what you could see again. He's still, he's 30, so he's not super old yet. Yeah. I, I, I like Hunter Dozier. I got kind of uh, told that's foolish by a couple of very smart people the other day on Twitter. One being Vlad Sadler, Anthony Gialdi and Vin, um, Van Armbarn, so Ryan Venancio. So I, I was told I was being, you know, foolish for for hoping good things about him, but I agree with everything you said. I've dug in on Ryan Dozier many years, and I love what I see from him. I keep buying back in because his price gets cheaper and cheaper. It's like I think they're ro- two of them are Royals fans, so they're kind of jaded in that situation. But um, you know, if you where he's going in a draft, if you can get me close to fifteen to twenty homers with you know, like you said, five to ten steals and be productive. I think that's pretty outstanding. Uh, they're worried about consistent playing time. I'm like, I think I don't see where he wouldn't play regularly. But uh, somewhere between the outfield and third base right now looks good unless they just really want to put out – but they want to put Mondesi at DH, so like it makes perfect sense to play Dozier. So until I hear otherwise, I like Dozier quite a bit. They were more concerned about his swing and miss and his batting average woes, but I, I'm not quite there. Mm-hmm. All right, Big John Stud, MLB moving average, Johnny L., Better chance of maintaining huge disciplinary gains from 2021. Big Meat Pete the Polar Bear or Matt Olson? I already know big, your answer. Big Meat Pete. Yeah, yeah it's Times Big Meat Pete. We, we talked about it quite a bit earlier. So, yeah, it's a, it's Big Meat Pete. We're, we're both on board on that one. All right. Ben Tid at Breaking Ben underscore T asks, what are your guys' thoughts on the takes that say don't draft the guys going in the 50 to 90 range and instead take those in the Votto range, early to mid-100s. Are the ones that say skip the Votto range and draft guys in the 200s like Belt instead? So do you want to skip the early guys and get the Votto range, or just go, or, or for your sake, the Bell range? Or do you want to go another like 100 picks and get a guy there? Where do you prefer to get your uh, I, I I like the middle. I like that middle middle ground. I like the Bell, Hoskins... I haven't pulled it. I haven't gotten Votto yet, but I can see myself doing that now. I feel a little bit more comfortable going there. So I'd ra- much rather be in that range. The one kind of exception to that is, is Yuli. 
is a guy that I'm that I if I wait, I'm probably targeting him. Um, you know, or maybe Dahlbeck if I want to if I want to get aggressive. There you go. Yeah, no, I kind of want one of those mid guys too in there, and then I'm, I have no problem backing it up with the next guy. I got a corner infield spot because at that point in the draft, third base kind of sucks. So um, yeah, I have no problem getting a second guy for sure. Uh, at Liam at Freed Mines asks, if you double tap starting pitchers in the first and second rounds, what type of players are you targeting in the third and fourth round? If I double tap starting pitchers, pitchers in the first two rounds, what type of players are you looking for at your third and fourth pick? Um, I'm generally looking for a balanced approach a balanced player. So let me just look at the ADP here. Let me see what we're, what we're working with. Um, so, uh, yeah. So if I, if I double tap pitchers, you know, I'm looking at like, um, a Teoscar Hernandez or a Tim Anderson or a Trevor story or a Sal Perez, just cause I think he's that much better, you know, than a lot of the guys going here. Um, even as Xander Bogarts, just because the consistency is is key. He was injured last year. The stolen bases are a little light, but I think he contributes everything. You know, Tyler O'Neill, uh, JTR, you know, for sure. I mean, maybe Goldie. I don't know. Um, so those are kind of the guys that I'm I'm more interested in and in, in kind of looking at the third round and the fourth round. I've also been going in my DCs, I've also been getting a closer oftentimes. Um, in there as well. So it's not necessarily two hitters going right there. I mean, I could just tell you, like, let's see. Um, I started off in one draft, Scherzer, Louis, uh, Luis uh, Robert, Emmanuel Classe, Salvador Perez. In another one, it was Harper, Wheeler, Iglesias, O'Neill. In another one, it was Scherzer, Wheeler, Diaz, Perez. That's my Mondesi one. So it really depends. And you got to think out. I think a really good thing is to think about the back end of the draft first and who you think you're going to be able to get in those spots and then work your way forward from there. So if you feel confident in being able to get those, some of those like 10 to 15 stolen base guys later, then do it. Yeah, no, that's kind of... I didn't take two pitchers really, but taking Vlad really feels like I still need to find those 10 to 15 stone base guys. So it's kind of a, I, I, that's a strategy I get, but I, like you said, maybe a pitcher, maybe a closer as one of your two picks more often than not. I've been a big T Oscar guy in round threes. If I can get them, I love T Oscar. So I, I like that call quite a bit. Uh, Tyler O'Neill, like you said, like those would be the kind of guys I'd be looking to get those the last of the kind of five category dudes. I'd be trying to get one of those for sure. Uh, Ryan Roof asks, our buddy from Rotowire, Paul Goldschmidt, where does he rank on Toby's sheet? He ranked favorably in mine and took him at pick 55, but doesn't feel sexy. Mm, recalculating my sheet, uh, Ryan, unfortunately, it looks like he's last. He's last on my list, Ryan. <laughs> I'm sorry you really messed up our draft that we're in together. Um, <laughs> it's really too bad. Uh, you had a shot and then you drafted Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, no, I, we, we talked about him extensively. I think he's, he's yeah. very solid where he's going right now. You know, the little bit of the plus on the stolen bases. And I think you feel pretty solid about the other four category production wise. So I'm not generally going after first baseman in this area because I think you can kind of make up ground elsewhere, but 
Um, if you're going to take a first baseman in this area, I think Goldie is a good way, good way to go. Yeah, 100% agree. Like we said, he's, he'd be, if I'm going to take a guy early, he's pretty much the one. Otherwise, we sit back and we wait and enjoy the ride. Uh, Joe McHugh asks, in all seriousness, given positional flexibility, how comfortable are you using first base as a streaming mix, a streaming kind of mixed thing, and or a streaming mix and match position in a 15-team fab league? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I might, I might feel okay, but I mean, if you think about it, like, right, you're talking about the top 450 players, yeah. right? It's so like, let's see who are the first basemen going after pick 450. Yeah, it's not great. It's like Miggy, Prado, Profar, Casas, Edwin Rios, Jace Peterson, Lewin Diaz. So there's like some guys who could be interesting for sure and cobble it together, but I'm not seeing any like outside of maybe Miggy, like guys who are going to start and play every single game. And they're going to really drain your average or something. Like they're going to drain categories for you. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe corner infield because then you're looking at first yeah. base and third base combined, you know, and obviously some guys are going to get injured. So those guys are going to move up. So it's all dependent, but like looking right now, first base is pretty dead after pick 450. There's not a ton of guys that I'm interested in there. But certainly it, it's possible. Yep, it's possible. So you can do it. I prefer not to. Let's put it that way. Uh, Eric Samolski asks, Is the uh, if the new stadium causes Mount Castle to become a 25 to 27 home run bat, poor exit velocity and balls in the air with a more cavernous park, how far are you dropping him from current ADP? Seems to fall closer to the next tier down at first baseman. Like I said, I haven't ranked, uh, even before the, the defense change, I hadn't ranked kind of after that hoskins bell Votto, all that group already so i don't think he drops that far that's how far i would drop him though yeah i mean like straight up now tell me i'd go reese hoskins over brian mountcastle probably i mean if we're just being honest like right now straight up i do josh bell over him so i absolutely think he's in that in that other in, in that other category probably for me i do cj crone over him yep yeah I, I wouldn't do Votto. Jared Walsh, I don't Joey think, Votto. but like I do Votto over him probably. There's yeah. a good chunk of them. Yeah. So there you go, Eric. There's a, there's a grouping you can kind of pass on if you'd prefer. Yeah. Uh, Dave Swan at Davithius says, Jared Walsh had a hot first half while Josh Bell was great in the second half, yet both were bad for half of a season. Of these two, who is more likely to put it all together for one very big season? Pretty sure you're a Josh Bell guy. Oh, Josh Bell, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you guys can tell I'm like biased towards Josh Bell, right? I'm only seeing the good. I'm only seeing the good people. I mean, Jared Walsh is fine. You know, he's no Josh Bell. But um, no, I mean, he's going to be like with Mike Trout and he's going to be with Shohei. And they're going to be a really good, they're going to be a really good offense. You know, that top of the lineup. I think they could both do really well. I think... Um, I believe more in Bell. And I may also be jaded slightly by a Dynasty League trade where I picked up Jared Walsh at the end of the 2019, no, the 2020 season and then traded him midseason last year because I thought he was going to totally collapse and he didn't. And I traded him for like four scrub closers that half of them didn't work out. So whatever. (laughs) Just being real with all of you. Those are always fun. Uh, Simon P has a question. How about a deep dive on Lewin Diaz in Miami? How much does he play if we have a DH, and what can we expect if he gets a full-time job at first base? I'm in two NL-only leagues, but can apply 
to best ball and draft and holds as well. Thanks, fellas, and good to be back. I think if he's they get the DH, it helps him a ton. Uh, I think they want to give him run because they gave him some run last year. He just really struggled batting average wise, but the power is legit. We've seen it in all the minor league levels. I think he gets a good run this year, personally. But um, so in all only, I think he's fine. I just don't like he's more of a fab acquisition for me in redrafts. Yeah, it's really hard for me to say. I don't know. Have um has anybody made the like finding Lewin Diaz joke? Isn't there a movie called like Finding Lewin? Davis? I think I know what you're talking about. Find, no, inside Lewin Davis. Yes. Inside yeah. Lewin Davis. So we're gonna go with inside Lewin, Lewin Diaz. Diaz. Inside Lewin Diaz. I don't know if I'm the first person to make that joke, but if I am, if I am. Um, let's see, Lewin, Lewin D has, yeah, sorry guys. It's late. It's late <laughs> here on the West coast. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking generally speaking. So let's just dive in the batted ball profile looks pretty good. You know, low ground ball rates. Let's see. Is that the case in the minors too? Yeah. Low ground ball rates throughout, which I really like a lot. Um, you know, like maybe, maybe too low if it stays at 31.5%, yes. but he's in like, the high 30s, low 40s, I think, throughout the minors, which is which is kind of ideal. The fly ball rate's too high. The line drive rate is super low, which gives you like some pause about like what the barrel control looks like and how consistent you know that that the standard deviation of that launch angle might be. Um, so keeping that bab that babbit super low. Um, the O swing is awful. You know, he's chasing pitches outside the zone. In the minors, he didn't really walk. He only had in the very early minors, a couple seasons above 10%, which, you know, in the minors, like, isn't, isn't that great. The contact is solid though, for like a power hitter, you know, 75%, you know, the K rate should be, should stick around that 25%, 24, 25%. If he can hold on to that, you know, again, assuming that he can hold on to that. Um, the stack has data is all right. Like max EV on 116 batted ball events is 108.6, which is pretty mediocre. It's not Kevin Biggio, but it's pretty mediocre. Barrel rates at 10%, you know, in those 116 uh, plate appearances. You know, if you can maintain that, that's obviously good. You know, he's got 12 barrels, eight home runs. So, you know, again, like I think it's always best to, to kind of focus on the projections here. And what the projections tell us is, you know, he's going to be a low batting average, good power, no speed guy. Which, you know, again, like, I think he's a good, you know, um, if you can find, if you can find, no, if you, if you, I don't know, you can (laughs) find Lewin, if you can get inside Lewin Diaz at like whatever pick he's at right now, I'm sure he's a good bet. Um, Because I do think he could definitely get some run and they want to give him a a look and he's got kind of a little bit of pedigree. They got him from the twins, I think, right? He was in the twin system. Pick pick 524. Yeah, I mean that sounds like a great pick, honestly. Um, at five twenty four, of of a lot of those guys I mentioned after pick four fifty, I feel like he's a guy who could get hot at the beginning of the season and be like a guy who hits twenty five, thirty home runs with two fifty, two forty batting average, which would be really solid from where you're getting him. And like right now, roster resource doesn't have him starting on the team, which I don't know. I find that hard to believe. I know they made moves. They got Joey Wendell and they got Brian Anderson scheduled to DH on roster resource, which seems odd to me as well. Like. I think you'd rather give Lewin Diaz at least a platoon shot at DHing or you know something with Aguilar or, or whatnot. So 
I think we see him unless he has a horrific spring training. I think he's he's going to be he should be starting out with the big club. Um, the power is legit. You mentioned uh, some of the profile things. Even looking at his his swings, his contact rates are good. He just swings so darn much. Like his overall swing is like ten percent above average, uh, let alone his O swing. But his O contacts just below average. His regular overall contacts just around a little below average. So it's like. Just hone that in a little bit. He's young. So like hone it in a little bit and see what you can figure mm. out. Hang out, hang out in the cage with Jesus Aguilar a while. Let him talk to you for a bit. And some of these other guys, you, you never know what he could pull out. But I think especially like a dynasty NL only, someone to definitely keep an eye on, if not take a late flyer on, because I think he could be a, a nice late power source for sure. Our book, Mark Carter is our final question for us. Can Joseph Votto do it again? Yes. Oh, hell yeah. Yes. When he, the question is, he, why not? Can he? He will. It's it's, yeah. it's it should be will he? Yes. Yes, he will. And it might be better. Like I said, the National League Jose Abreu coming on down. It's mm. <laughs> so wow. Let's do it. I like that let's comp there. So National League Jose Abreu. Let's go. Damn, that's so. the way to end a podcast right there. Like that yep. type of a comp. Yeah, we're I gonna mean, mic drop it and walk away. Dude, you guys. <laughs> but. uh that will wrap up our first based preview of the uh, 2022 season. Final thoughts, Toby, as we wrap it up and get ready for second base next week. Yeah, you know, just thinking about it at the beginning of this show, we told you guys that this episode was going to be shorter than the catcher preview. But what we didn't consider is the fact that when you tune into this podcast, you tune into this podcast to get hard hitting, in depth analysis. And sometimes that takes time. So we will no longer promise you that the podcast that we're doing this week will be shorter than the one our, last our week. Old pre- our old previews took like two and a half to three hours. Guys, so we're, we're doing good. We're getting better, people. We're getting better. <laughs> but if, you're get, if you've reached this part of the podcast, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for, um, you know, thank you for listening to us. Yes, it's always fun, and we enjoy doing it. So gets us ready for the season, lets us talk about some fun stuff. Sorry we didn't get to make any uh, picks for you. He's a, he, he'll, the pick will expire in about 50 minutes right before it freezes, so we'll get to make our picks. Oh, it. I know. It's brutal. Yeah. It's, it's brutal. Like, Drew, I just, Drew I, you're I, literally running out by one minute. Yeah, He's going to run great, out by one minute. Which is great because now we can make our picks and go to bed because Govier oh, will man. not make a pick tonight, oh, so we're good. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's where the cookie crumble, unfortunately, oh, Drew. Sorry, Drew. Always set a Curado. Yeah. Yes. Or your Q. Either yeah, one. Both. Both. But yeah. on that note, we will wrap it up here. First base preview in the books. Make sure you check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I am at BDentric. We'll catch you guys next week. with a home policy from American Family Insurance because you'll feel protected no matter how the wind blows. Also, you can keep enjoying the home of your dreams. And our expert agents can help you save up to 23% when you bundle home with auto. 
Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. American Family Insurance. Get a quote? Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.